The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. Hey guys, this is Caleb and I'm here with my brother Ben. Um, We're going to talk to you today on The Way BK podcast about how to deal with doctrinal differences or disputes. Um, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 15. If you've just joined us, we're, we want you to know that we're here in Brooklyn. We're here uh, eager to help you in whatever ways we can. Check us out on the web, www.thewaybk.com. Check us out on Facebook. Um, we'd love to hear from you if you have questions, thoughts on things we're discussing together or other things, other ways that we can help you. Definitely let us know. Um, We've come to a part of the book of Acts where um, a significant disagreement occurs within the church. Um, We talked in the last podcast about how the church in Antioch was this uh, first group, uh, multicultural group with a large number of Jews and Gentiles coming together. And in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, the text says that some men came down from Judea And began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. And so they were sent on their way by the church. They go down to Jerusalem and they're received by the church. And the apostles, the elders, um, all come together. Um, to discuss this matter. And so there, there's an issue here about whether or not the, um, the, the Gentile converts, these new Christians who are Greeks, must become Jewish, must become part of the group, must be circumcised, must obey the law of Moses. Um, what we want to look at today is what can we learn from how the, how the uh, church handles this conflict and what are some lessons we can learn. So I'll throw it over to you, Ben. Um, when you look at Acts 15 and you look at uh, and you look at how the church handles this conflict, what's what jumps out at you or what sta- what uh, impresses you about how they handle this and what can we learn from it? I think there's a lot of lessons here. Two overarching things that I think are useful. One is um, d- doctrinal differences or doctrinal disputes have almost always existed. I think. I can get really disturbed or frustrated when I look around and I see differences or arguments or people. And, and, and you kind of think like, man, like we just lost like what Christianity is really supposed to be. And that may actually be true depending on how we handle it. Mm-hmm. But the actual notion of there being differences of understanding or even strong disagreements, that's not a new thing. I mean, this is the Christianity's barely begun. Right. And you got a pretty significant debate. And when you read the letters of Paul, especially probably most of all Galatians, but Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, all reference things where people who were Christians, who were following Jesus, had very different beliefs on some pretty fundamental things. So much so that Paul even says, you're not even Christians anymore if you believe you you know, are following XYZ doctrine. But my point is, is that, that the notion of there being doctrinal disputes, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, and it's not a new, new problem or anything. Uh, I don't know if that's encouraging or discouraging, but I think it's a little bit encouraging. So that whenever you come upon that, you shouldn't just despair or feel like, oh man, 
it's all over. Yeah, so problem. there have been problems in church for as long as there's been church, and as long as there's people in church, there's going to be problems, True. right? Which, it's actually helpful to know that because now we can actually go back and look at, like, hey, how do they handle this? How do they deal with it? And hopefully learn some lessons for which that will help us when these doctrinal issues come up and disputes come up in, in our church as well. Yeah. And so I don't know if this next uh, idea is an, another overarching thing to remember or if it actually gets into some of like how we actually are supposed to handle it. But another thing that strikes me is they certainly had the notion that there was such a thing as a right answer and a wrong answer. Mm-hmm. And whenever they sat down to talk about this, there wasn't a, well, you guys think what you think, we're going to think what we think. Or, well, who knows who's right and who's wrong. Or if there even is such a thing as right and wrong, that wasn't a part of their equation. I mean, they, they're they fighting over it, essentially. I mean, you see the, the teaching in verse 1 and then verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Which I love the way he said it. No small <laughs> dissension and debate. I mean, in other words, they were fighting pretty hard perhaps for some period of time. Uh, and then it says Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Um, and then if you come down a little bit further down to uh, verse 4 and 5, you see that they're presenting the two arguments. Paul and Barnabas saying, here's what we've been doing among all the nations, so we don't believe this stuff about you got to become a Jew in order to become come to Jesus. And then verse 5, the people who were believers, but who belonged to this perspective that, no, you got to become a Jew. you got to be circumcised. you got to keep the law. They're presenting their arguments as in, this is right and you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's important. It's, uh, I think it's a constant problem because you see it mentioned in Scripture. So again, I don't want to commit the problem of being prisoner of the moment. But it's a truth that those of us who at least live in the Western world in, um, in 2019, there's a very pervasive idea, especially about religious ideology, that there are some things that are definitely wrong, killing folks and stuff like that. But really beyond that, you know, it's right and wrong is something that's kind of either individually you decide or the group you're a part of kind of comes to some sort of collective decision, objective right and wrong, objective truth, especially when it comes to religious and spiritual matters, is something people kind of deny. And that was kind of their starting point. Their starting point was... There is such a thing as right and wrong, and we need to try to find it. And yeah, so there's there's right and wrong, and it, I can't just say, well, this is this is my interpretation. That's just your interpretation, right. you know. Like there, there there are different interpretations, but sure. there's there's right and wrong interpretations, yeah. and uh, and that's not an excuse. Other thing that struck me about this is uh, just how important it was to settle this. Like yes. like you're saying, they're fighting for the truth. They want to figure out what is really right. It's so important that they're, this church that's been on fire and growing rapidly in Antioch says, hey, we're going to send our two, two of our most important, vital teachers all the way down to Jerusalem, which is no small walk, right, you know, right, no right. short walk to Jerusalem to sit down with the whole church uh, there and try to figure out what the right thing to do is or, or, or make sure that we can clarify what the gospel really is that we're preaching here. Yeah. So it's a big deal. And people understand that. I mean, in, in scientific terms, we, we fight to understand, you know, throughout history, how does gravity work and how does and what, how should we understand velocity and motion and, you know, what about, I mean, whatever. And in the medical sciences, there are all kinds of debates and fights about, well, is this going to cure that or is that the best way and da-da-da. So it's funny, in the natural sciences, 
we actually understand this somehow whenever we come to the, um, I'll say it this way, the religious sciences, we kind of are like, oh, no, there's no such thing as right and wrong. And, you know, everybody could be right or everybody could be wrong or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it is worth fighting for, searching out, working to discourage, uh, to discover as we're working together. I'll just add one more thing um, with that that I think is is worth thinking about this. Um, I remember one person saying, and it's it's something I try to remember, whenever there's a disagreement between two people, it's important to remember there is such a thing as an object of truth. I may be right and you may be wrong, or you may be right and I may be wrong, or we both, both may be wrong. But if we have a disagreement, you can't, in general at least, uh, I think I can say this pretty much all the way across the board, if there's a real disagreement about some matter of doctrine, we can't both be right or both be okay. Again, we both might be wrong, or I might be wrong, or you might be wrong, but we need to try to arrive at the truth. And that's something that was pretty fundamental to their approach to this. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I think is is striking about this is they, uh, it's kind of related, I guess. For them, discovering the truth about uh, what was right and wrong was about God. It wasn't about them. Right. And I don't want to make, I think it's fair to make something out of this. If you look at verse uh, 5, second half of verse 5, um, it says, Some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. Well, to be fair, like even these people who are wrong, at least I could ever give them credit. They're referring to the law of Moses, which came from God. Mm-hmm. you know, And so that's admirable. Verse 7, it says, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel. And God, verse 8, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit as he's given to us. Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke? I mean, I could go, I mean, it's kind of all throughout this text in Acts 15. It's it's always coming back to what does God want? What does God think? What's right in God's eyes? Mm -hmm. And if that's not the question I'm asking, then I'm never going to arrive at that objective truth. And we're never going to be able to get on the same page. Because if I'm just trying to get you to come over to my side, then what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to win an argument. I'm not trying to find the truth with you. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to persuade you to agree with me. Or vice versa. I may end up agreeing with you. That's not what doctrine is about in Christian circles. In the in the Christian uh, worldview, God is the one who's made all things. He's the one who rules over all things. And so when we have a do- doctrinal disagreement, our question has to be, what does God say on the issue? What does God think about the issue? I think it's important. And that is, that is, like, that's the foundation of it, right? Because if we don't have a, uh, if we're not united by a desire to do what God says, then there's no hope of really, right. you know, there's no hope of coming to unity. If we do come to unity, it's, it's not going to be a unity that lasts or, right. or, or, um, or that really, uh, you know, brings us together. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, got, there's got to be a foundation for that unity. And the foundation here is, it's what the, it's what God is doing. It's what, it's what God has chosen it's what god knows and it's about um what what god has done through the holy spirit right what god has said so no doubt no doubt yeah which, which related to that i think so i mean all, all this stuff is just kind of conceptual stuff about doctrine okay like there is such a thing as truth it's worth pursuing and fighting for it needs to be about god and not about us that kind of thing but someone say okay but how do you actually figure out what's right and what's wrong I think it's pretty instructive to see the approach that they took and uh, in, in both determining what the right answer was and then in kind of how they established the right answer and made sure everybody understood it. 
So just to kind of break down the text a little bit, if you start in verse 6, which you read a couple of these verses, they bring everybody together who has this disagreement. And um, they have a couple of, basically, you can think about it like a trial almost. They bring up witnesses. So the first witness is Peter. And Peter comes up, and in this argument of, hey, do Gentiles need to be circumcised, keep the law of Moses? Do they need to become Jews in order to come to Jesus? Or can Gentiles stay Gentiles and yet come to Jesus? Well, Peter comes up, and he harkens back to his experience in Acts chapter 10, where he says, hey, you know, God chose me to go to the house of Cornelius. I preached to Gentiles. And while they were still Gentiles, the Holy Spirit descended on them, just like the Spirit descended on us Jews. Which Peter's conclusion then is, I mean, if God did the same thing with them as he did with us, how can we make any kind of difference? He makes the same argument in Acts chapter 11 when he was similarly put on trial personally. So that's kind of, uh, he's the first witness. After that, in verse 12, it says, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Uh, so there's another witness, basically, who knows how long that took, because we know from Acts chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, there's a lot of stuff that Barnabas and Paul were doing. So they relay all these stories about ways that God was working. Uh, and I, I think that their point is, hey, this implies that God approves of our actions. We were going out preaching to Gentiles. God was working among the Gentiles. He never told us not to. We never were ineffective. It wasn't like we were in Jewish circles. We could perform miracles. And then once we got around Gentiles, mm -hmm. we couldn't. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah. If that would have been the case, I think they would have taken that as a sign of, oh, Actually, God's telling us something here. People right. need to be Jews. But their point is, look at what God's done by His Spirit, and that leads us to something. And then the last witness that uh, comes to the witness stand, as it were, is in verse 13. James, the brother of Jesus, says, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, another name for Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for His name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that is falling. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind, not just the Jews, the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. And then James' conclusion, he says, listen, We've got evidence of how God has worked among Peter and Paul and Barnabas among the Gentiles. And we've got scripture that explicitly states this. So my conclusion is, let's let the Gentiles, they don't have to become Jews, they don't have to be circumcised. If they believe in the Lord Jesus, they're going to be saved by the grace of God just like we are. We're all the same. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's like the thing that happens. The principle, I think, that we get out of this and... Uh, you can probably help me clarify how to say it's better, but uh, the way we figure out what actually God thinks is right and wrong is by the clear signs that God has worked by His Spirit and the clear statements that God has made in Scripture. Through that's, the Spirit, right? That's right. Yeah, to be fair, both of those are by the Spirit, right? Um, now, the hard part is there's no verse that explicitly says nobody has to, or Jesus didn't come to one of the apostles. He didn't show up at this meeting. He actually let them figure it out, which I think is striking. Jesus has appeared and will appear in the book of Acts at various moments, but in this moment, he doesn't appear to anybody. He doesn't um, show up in their midst in a vision and just declare it. He wants them to figure it out because he's already given them enough to figure it out. 
even with that, there was never a state that says one day there will be no more circumcising or one day there will be no more law of Moses. That's not there either. They have to actually work on it. But the material that they use to come to their conclusion is the things that God did by his spirit and the things that God said in scripture. And, uh, and I think that's helpful for us. Um, yeah, I'll say a couple more things. Maybe you want to chip in on this too. I want to be clear. Um, some people, what they say is, well, I feel led by the spirit that blah, blah, blah conclusion is right. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, that's not what these guys were saying. What these guys were saying, hey, they're objective things that nobody can argue. These people were speaking in different languages. That guy, we struck him blind. Or that guy, we raised him from the dead or whatever. It was objective things that the Spirit was doing by the hands of the apostles. So when I say signs of the Spirit, that's what I mean. I don't mean feelings or even like uh, it's premonitions. It's not really a mystical thing. Yeah. It's not mystical at all. Yeah, it's very objective. And it was uh, these objective ways that the Spirit affirmed the work of the apostles and prophets in the early church. Um, and therefore their message of the gospel was for all nations is affirmed. Um, so probably what's more relevant for our purposes, maybe not more relevant, but uh, more immediately impactful for us, is these statements in Scripture. If I want to figure out what's right in God's eyes, I go to what the Scripture says about how to turn that. Yeah. I guess one thing that gets into my mind is a lot of uh, uh, disagreements that happen. Um, you sit down, you look at the Word, um, and somebody reads something from the scripture or somebody says, you know, hey, this is what the spirit says, you know. And I've been in situations where sometimes people will be like, well, I just don't believe that. Mm-hmm. But I don't I just don't I, I don't accept that. So what, what do you do if you're in if you're trying to work through something and or what can you do? You know, if you're trying to work through something and somebody's like, here's what the script you're, you, you bring the scripture. This is what the scripture says. And somebody's like, eh, I don't I feel like the spirit's leading me. In that situation, a person saying, in that situation, what do they do? That's tough. I mean, one, there's debate. There's going back and forth. Because here's the thing. Some things, um, including this one, I, I, I feel fairly confident there were some people who'd be like, but wait, mm-hmm. the scriptures also say that mm-hmm. the Sabbath is an everlasting covenant. Mm-hmm. So how do you figure that? That's part of the law of Moses. And if that's going to be everlasting and the scriptures say that, then the law of Moses must be everlasting. And therefore we must all, you know, I mean, you could see how people probably had scriptural arguments to support their position here on right. circumstances, just like on a wide variety of topics today, whether it be salvation or uh, marriage stuff or, um, you know, the way churches are supposed to function or whatever it might be, worship, I don't know, like moral ethics, whatever. Um, people can even use scripture to contradict. So I think some of that is there's an engagement. There's a going back and forth. There's let's try to figure this thing out. And then I think at the end of the day, what we have to do is what's the weight of evidence, what's most compelling. Right. And I do think at the end of the day, uh, there are going to be divisions. And I pray God's mercy on all of us as we're trying to figure out what's true and right. And if we mess it up, that he'll either lead us back to it or he'll forgive us or whatever it is. Um, but I got to be prepared for the notion, as you said, that someone may disagree with me, and that disagreement may be like, "No, I'm not. That's not convincing me in Scripture." Mm-hmm. Well, at some point, we're just not be able to walk together. I do think you see this, um, and I'll just refer everybody who's listening. You can check this out. You probably already noticed this, but in the letters of Paul, it's pretty clear that he had that understanding. Like, look, here's the truth, and if you agree or disagree with us, whatever. Like, right. I'm following the Lord. I'm not trying to please people, and if you end up disagreeing with the truth. We're not going to be able to walk together. 
and that's kind of the end of it, which yeah. is kind of hard and harsh and not preferable at all. Right. Like the goal here is to try to all get on the same page, but that is reality. That I, I don't know. There may be more to add to that, but I think at the end of the day, it's just embracing and accepting the fact that probably is going to happen sometimes. To your point, I remember Paul saying to the Corinthians that there had to be divisions among you. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason for that is because there's a division between darkness and light and sometimes there are going to be people who, uh, for whatever reason, get blinded by the darkness or things of it, and they're just unwilling to yeah. uh, to accept what the light is actually saying, what what it actually has come from God. So I think that's helpful what you're saying because uh, we shouldn't be shocked by that either. Like we shouldn't be shocked by the fact that there are still going to be times where uh, you can't get on the same page, you can't get united. There's plenty of places in in uh, in both in the book of Acts, but also all throughout the New Testament, where certain people are not able to walk in fellowship because of differences uh, in doctrine, and oftentimes it's deeper than that. It's that's not right. just doctrine; it's it's a lifestyle that's being lived and uh, and a gospel that's being preached that's that's entirely different. Yeah, and I think that's part that God set things up to kind of test us all, you know, and uh, and I need to be careful to assign um, motives or wrong attitudes on other people. Because again, back to our uh, statement before, the other person may be wrong or I may be wrong. I may be the one who has the bad heart. And at some point down the line, I may wake up and realize, wow, like I really messed that up. And, and now I've repented and now I'll understand things more clearly. Right. But I do think the fact that doctrine, it wasn't like they didn't come together and they didn't say, well, let's, what compromise could we come up with? Or what's the will of the council? Right. It's funny because a lot of times people use this to kind of um, support the notion of, doctrinal councils, uh, ecumenical summits, and, you know, churches coming together to determine doctrine. They weren't really determining doctrine. All it was was like, hey, let's get on the same page. You're like, what has God said about this? And what has God done about this? It was all about, back to our other point, it was about God. It wasn't about them. And and that's what we're searching for. Or not. If we're not searching for that, then we're going to end up with other beliefs. Yeah, and I think that's how, what you're saying is helpful, too, because... uh, you know, a lot of a lot of doctrinal disagreements. I think when it really boils down to it, um, sometimes it, this this text is helpful because it tells us where to turn. And I do think that a lot of times when you have problems and disagreements that arise, oftentimes uh, while people may do some reasoning from scripture, scripture is not what is like the foundation of mm-hmm. it. And, or and and you see that because sometimes. Um, people aren't even using scripture to defend their arguments. They're not even trying to, you know, uh, or maybe don't even know what the scriptures have said about that. So I think it's helpful what you're saying. If we're going to come to a greater unity and we're going to actually, you know, work together on this and we're going to stay together, we've got to be fully committed to letting God's word be what inspires us and teaches us how to live and how to walk. Mm -hmm. And that's scary because uh, that means that I have to be willing to consider the possibility that I may be in the wrong. Right. That I may be the one who needs to change to submit my will to the will of Scripture. And when this when this council comes together, somebody's wrong here. Right. And it's not it's not because they're irreligious. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is the sect of the Pharisees. These are about as spiritual people as you can get. Mm-hmm. But uh, nonetheless, they were wrong. And the only way there was going to be unity is if they would submit their will to the will of God by learning from what the Spirit has said and then actually obeying it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so on a practical level, whenever there's some sort of 
doctrinal discussion, doctrinal debate. Um, anything I say in my own heart or as I'm trying to convince someone else, it has to be rooted in things that God has said and done. Not what my church says, what my favorite preacher says, what some book says that I read. That some, that doesn't prove anything. That, that may end up being um, a part of the way we illustrate what we believe is true and what we see is true in Scripture. But I can't allow those things to uh, be part of my argument, in other words. There's no, there's never evidence that's like, Paul never gets up and he's like, well, listen, guys, I'm a really well-traveled man, and I just really think it's important. If we're going to be a healthy um, social network of believers, we need to let people maintain their cultural background. You know, We mm-hmm. can't f- compel people to become Jews. That's not part of it. It's not like a personal experience thing. Peter doesn't get up there and say, well, you know, Rabbi so-and-so, he introduced something to me when I was a kid that really, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nor was it just um, James saying, well, listen, guys, I'm Jesus' brother. Right. And I really know. So let me just tell you what it is. It's all, They're always pointing to these objective realities that God has revealed. And, uh, and if, when we're dealing with doctrinal things, we need to make sure that's the, the way we're talking about things. Amen. Now, with that, I think the question is, okay, what is the source material we're really supposed to use? And this also helped because Scripture is a little bit vague. Like, how do right. we... Do I go back to the law of Moses? Sure, you know? right. Yeah, because yeah. that's what these people say. We are using the scriptures, you dummies. That's exactly what we're saying, you right. know? Um, well, whenever we want to understand the law of Moses and the purpose of it, when we want to understand the prophets, whatever, uh, true doctrine is explained by the teachings and writings of the apostles and eyewitnesses of Christ. That's what you see here in Acts 15. Mm-hmm. So after they make this judgment and reach this conclusion, which they, based on, with what the apostles had to say, apostles and Barnabas, I would add, you right. know, and Jane. But you know, like these people who saw Jesus, knew Jesus, or were specially appointed as apostles. Uh, and then after this, in verse twenty-two, after they come to their conclusion uh, and or affirm the conclusion the Lord had come to, maybe that's the way to say it. In verse twenty-two, said it, it said, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men from among the brothers with the following letter. And they write a letter explaining what is the truth revealed by God. Because basically their their message was these men, and they specifically say, the men who came to you, they didn't have any bit. We didn't send them out. We didn't tell them they could say that. But what we are telling you, we the apostles of Christ are telling you, this is the truth. And so don't let anybody else shake you off of that. And then this is something, I mean, uh, one passage that comes to mind, we've been studying this on Saturdays, is from Ephesians 2, where it says that all there's all these people from the, all the world, all throughout history, that are coming together in Christ, and we're being built into a holy temple of God, and the foundation is Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, and then his apostles and prophets. And there's a number of other passages, but that's probably, the, I think that's one of the most picturesque ones, that the entire faith of Christianity is built on Jesus and what he did and how that what he did was proclaimed in the world and recorded by the apostles and prophets. So if we want to know what's true and what's right, we've got to go to Romans, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, Acts. You know, this is how we find out. And that doesn't mean that the Old Testament is unvaluable. Actually, it's very valuable. The apostles teach on the prophets and the law of Moses all the time, and they keep pointing us back and say, you need to understand this, you need to think about this, read this, study this, learn Isaiah, learn Zephaniah, learn Deuteronomy. But they explain it accurately, 
And if we're going to understand doctrine accurately, we need to follow after the teachings of the apostles and prophets. So what I hear you saying is, you know, it's possible if I was just reading the Old Testament and nothing else, it's possible that you might come to some conclusions like the like the uh, Pharisees have come to here. But in light of Jesus, actually, uh, over and over again, we, we, we see in the New Testament that that the law is fulfilled in Jesus, that the that Jesus was the goal of the law, uh, mm-hmm. the end of the law. And so, and so if we want to understand the Old Testament accurately or have a right interpretation of it, then we have to let uh, Jesus and his apostles and prophets uh, to help us with that. Which, to your point, I mean, they, when, they, when they're looking at Scripture here, they're looking at the Old Testament right. as the evidence for this. Um, but they're understanding it rightly in light of Jesus and what Jesus himself has taught about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, so the book of Acts begins in this way, chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Right. And then down in verse 8, he says to the, that group, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth and all that. So here at the very beginning, there's this emphasis on if you want to know what Jesus really thinks, you go to the apostles and prophets um, who he chose and appointed to declare his message. And so you're right, like for this audience in Acts 15, they were perhaps being too reliant upon Moses in order to understand Jesus. And what Jesus said is, no, no, if you want to understand me, listen to my apostles. And actually, my apostles will help you understand me. And when you understand me, then you'll understand Moses. Right. I think on our side of history, of course, there are a lot of people and a lot of religious ideologies that actually draw a lot from the Old Testament, a lot of things about Old Testament worship, a lot of things about Old Testament ethics, a lot of things about Old Testament practices that seeps into a lot of religious practices. But I think more often than not, people don't go to Moses, but they do go to like contemporary culture. We turn to um, maybe our own personal background or we turn to religious culture and we kind mm-hmm. of affirm, well, the church has always said blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like my pastor has always said or my mom always believed or I just think or society says, well, that's fine. And they may actually have some things right. There may be some truth in some of that. But I'm never going to know that properly. And I cannot establish my doctrinal views on that kind of stuff. Church, my family, my personal experience, whatever. Unless it's filtered through and corrected by the revelation that we receive from the apostles that came from Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. That's got to be the foundation of it all. And I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? That sometimes uh, sometimes we've got one foot on what the Bible says, but we've got one foot on something we read in a magazine mm-hmm. or something my grandma told me or something I saw on the History Channel or whatever pastor so-and-so or deacon or bishop or whoever so-and-so right. said, right, right, right. you know, whoever the church you know, leader is has told me this. And because of that, we're not we're not stable. We're not balanced. Uh, what we need is we need two feet rooted in the Word of God. We need two feet that are devoted to the apostles' teaching, and by so doing, we ensure that we're not going to be driven by the winds of the current the current of our culture. That we're going to be driven by what the apostles have actually said and taught, um, which is coming directly from Jesus. Right, right. And I think there's there's value. Uh, both in just that general concept of like, hey, I need to turn to the apostles for guidance if I want to understand Jesus and therefore how to live in the kingdom of God. I need to listen to the people Jesus sent out with the instructions. But also like what they model for us uh, is really instructive. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Um, and so I think that's valuable, that whenever you want to figure out, hey, how should preaching be done? Well, I should go and read the New Testament and look for every reference about preaching and teaching the gospel, you know, mm-hmm. and try as best I can to learn. Some things aren't going to have a direct implication for us mm-hmm. because, for instance, they went on ships anytime they traveled. So someone could come to the conclusion, well, that means there's something important about ships. We should do that. Jesus mm-hmm. wants us to travel on ships, not on planes. Well, maybe. I don't think so, though, because it doesn't seem like it's a big point of emphasis. There's never any instruction about going on ships as opposed to flying on an airplane to go somewhere. But there are instructions about other things, like the actual content of the doctrine. Right. I can't just make up my own. There's a lot of explicit statements that show me here's what the doctrine is. Right. Or um, if there's like consistent patterns of behavior, then I can pick up on like, oh, that seems pretty important, and I should probably try to follow after that. So um, it's not just that I should look for... Oh, and a third thing I'll say, too. Even in their letter, they hint at a principle that you find throughout Scripture, and that is that uh, they said, these men went without our instruction. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, Let me find that just to make sure that it gets highlighted. Um, I'm missing it. Where is it? Uh, 24. Yeah. Yeah. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from among us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. Right. Uh, sometimes people have the idea of like, oh, God didn't say it's not wrong, therefore it's fine. So one, one that comes up like this, I think, in our, our contemporary moment uh, socially is like gay marriage. There's never a Bible verse that condemns gay marriage. And people will say, oh, like homosexual behavior outside of marriage, that's wrong. Just like heterosexual behavior outside of marriage is wrong. Mm-hmm. So, But there's nothing wrong with gay marriage because Jesus never condemns it. Even the apostles don't condemn gay marriage. Right. Well, I would argue that that's a wrong way of viewing how to approach Scripture. It's not oh, there's no condemnation of it, therefore it's fine. If that's the way we're approaching it, A, just on a pragmatic level, that leaves a lot of things on the table right. that we would agree are bad things. So why are they bad if this one's not bad? But also this shows that actually if someone runs ahead and says, hey, we're going to tell people that they need to be circumcised. Hey, we gave you no instructions. Like If we didn't tell you that's cool, then you shouldn't think that's cool. Right. And you can't run ahead of the doctrine. When we have said... Salvation is by the grace of God, baptism, repentance, faith, all that stuff. That's where salvation happens. Then if you start adding to that, then it's wrong. So it's coming back to the gay marriage thing. It's true. There's no Bible passage that condemns gay marriage. But what Jesus did say about marriage is that marriage is between a man and a woman. Therefore, to go on and say, well, a marriage between two men or two women is fine. No, there's nothing. There is explicit instruction on what marriage is. And if I'd say something besides that, then I'm speaking out of turn from what the apostles in Christ have said. Right. It's not enough to just say, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't, or the Bible doesn't say not to. I've got to figure out what does the Bible say I ought, how I ought to live. I think that's right on. And if the Bible says nothing about a topic, period, or if it says a lot of different random things, like the travel thing, they walked, they rode ships, they rode horses, whatever, okay, then maybe God doesn't care. There's no instruction Mm -hmm. given about it. There's lots of different examples, so I can do whatever. Um, but here, it seems to me, they saw a consistent pattern of, oh, look, every time we interact with Gentiles, God is doing stuff by His Spirit. That kind of means something. And, oh, look, here's an explicit instruction that all the nations can come if they call on the name of the Lord. They put that stuff together, what God explicitly said and what God had shown them, and it led them to this conclusion. Um, and we should follow that model, I think, of how to determine truth from the writings of the apostles. Amen. 
I guess um, last two things I'll say, and you may want to add on to more of this list. Uh, one is that doctrine is universal in its rule. So whenever you understand there is such a thing as truth, you fight for truth, pursue truth with others, you keep truth centered on God, it's all about God, you're looking for what is God, what is God actually revealed by His Spirit and through Scripture, you're paying attention to the apostles, what they said and what they modeled for us, and you're following after that. Uh, we need to understand that doctrinal is uni- doctrine is universal. It doesn't matter if it was 2,000 years ago. It doesn't matter if it's across an ocean. It's for everybody. Whenever they wrote this letter um, outlining what the truth was, they sent it to all the churches. Um, if you look at verse uh, 30, um, and really this whole section, but in verse 30 it says, So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement, all this kind of stuff. Well, then, when you go back later, they, they went to other towns and were strengthening the brethren uh, with this message um, that was not just for people in Antioch, not just for people in Jerusalem, but it was for all brethren. One book of the Bible that highest is especially is 1 Corinthians, right. where on many occasions Paul says, I teach the same thing everywhere in every right. church. Just as I teach in all the churches. That's yeah. right. And I think that's important because these verses say like, yeah, well, that's what you believe or that's what that person believes, that's what that church believes or that's what they believed back then or that's what they believe over in India or that's what they believe in Peru. That's not the way we should think about it. Yeah. There wasn't like a different set of instructions for the church in Antioch than for the church. Well, this is a Jewish church, so we're going to do it this way and, and you guys can do it different. No, we're all on the same page here. Yeah. Especially if we believe that the doctrine is really from God, then of course it's universal because right. God made from one of all people of all nations. That's right. So it's all the same rule for all of us. And that may be manifested slightly different, you know, um, but it's all the same right? Uh, regardless. But back to the marriage thing, how people get married, the marriage ceremony might be different in India versus North America versus uh, South Africa versus Peru. But the notion of marriage and the sanctity of it and all that, that's the same. Right. How that gets expressed may be slightly different, but the rules stay the same. The last thing I'll say, and like I said, you may want to add on to this list of lessons we learned about how to come to doctrine or what it means or whatever, dealing with differences. I think it's important to remember where doctrine is going. This whole issue is about salvation, whether and how people were to be saved. Um, and understanding the truth allowed for more people to be saved and not corrupted. Um, You see people rejoicing, verse 31, whenever they hear uh, they're strengthened or encouraged by the message that they heard. Um, There's peace, verse 33, after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. And then as you continue down through the end um, of chapter 15, you see Paul and Barnabas going off with new preaching partners, continuing on their mission of preaching the gospel. So I guess the idea to me here is that Doctrine is the fuel or the foundation or the basis or the the engine behind every good thing that we have. And so while it may be a little bit taxing and exhausting to figure out doctrinal stuff, it's worth it because of the fruit that it produces if we really listen to the the truth that God's trying to give to us. It's actually freeing in the end, right? It it actually frees up the church to be able to live in unity and love and harmony and actually have uh, have the kind of family relationship that God intends his people to have. Anytime there's, and I think one of the things that's interesting about this is, you know, here's a place where um, some in the group are trying to, trying to enforce their, you know, their cultural expectation on the whole group. 
And, and this story reminds us, hey, there is no one culture that reigns supreme. It's God who reigns supreme, and his rules are going to be what unites us. You know, some people, I think, read this and say, well, look at this. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow the law of Moses. Gospel, the gospel is a free gift of God. We're saved by grace alone. So it really doesn't matter how we live either. Well, yes, this passage teaches us about gospel freedom. Yes, it teaches us that we're free in Christ. But there's also a yoke that's put on them. That's right. You know, they, that's right. They're not told go and live however you want. You know, they're told go and and obey these essentials. Um, verse 29, abstain th- from things sacrificed to idols and from blood, uh, from things strangled and from fornication. That is essentially abstain from idolatry and abstain from immorality. Mm-hmm. So those, those uh, truths uh, are not, you know, uh, are not... Um, canceled out by the gospel. No, the gospel frees us then to be able to live a life under the yoke of Christ that is not burdensome. It's not too heavy to bear. Just as Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Yeah. He doesn't say, I won't give you a yoke. He says, no, I'll put, put my yoke on you and, and learn from me and, and I will give you rest. Yeah. Um, that's really the promise here. The promise of being a disciple is not, oh, you'll be free to live however you want. The, the promise is that by submitting to God, by looking at God and letting God make the decisions for us as his people and uh, submitting to those and obeying those, actually, the promise is that that's where you'll find true freedom. That's right. That that's where you're really going to be free from your past, free from the expectations on your future, free to be able to really do the will of God and to be pleasing to him and love others. Which is why it's a worthy pursuit. And not even a worthy pursuit as like, oh, yeah, it's a good idea to try to find the truth. But, I mean, it's a necessary. It's got to be at the very heart of who we are as God's people. We want to know what's right and true, and we want to come together on that. On that. Not right. just come together, but come together on the truth so that we can serve God the way he wants us to together. That's right. That's right. Appreciate you guys listening today. Hope this was helpful to you. I know that this has been a, uh, a, a lengthy discussion about how to deal with doctrinal disputes. And we haven't covered everything here. I mean, we've covered we've covered a little bit, but maybe you've got questions about that. Maybe you've got issues that you're struggling with in your church or uh, or have dealt with that you don't know how to handle. Um, please reach out to us. If you have questions, if, you, if we've said anything here today that uh, raises red flags with you or that you have issues with, we, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to discuss these things together. Our goal is simply to be pleasing to Him, and uh, we hope you have the same goal. So if we can help you in any way, reach out to us on thewaybk.com, on our Facebook page. Um, Get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.